quiet quitting. Yes. It's like you're not delivering more. You're not giving more. And there's that very strong expectation in the NHS, especially of doctors. And so we feel like we need, we do need to burn ourselves to light other other people's way. And we, we end up forgetting about the other things that are a priority for us in our lives and that have kept us going for such a long time. Is it worth your time, your life, your energy, your dedication, your commitment to become a consultant in your chosen medical specialty? And I can tell you a lot more doctors are considering, seriously considering this very question. Because as we all know, the life of a consultant is not necessarily the holy grail it once was. So today, my friends, we are going to be talking more about some of the misconceptions of getting to the top as a medical consultant, having finished your specialty training, and talking about a whole range of things around that including some of the benefits of working in private practice, some of the alternatives to becoming a consultant. Uh, We touch upon salary. We touch upon crisis quitting, which is what a lot of us doctors do these days. And also we talk about what you can do if you are seriously considering other options. Stay tuned to this episode featuring myself and Dr. Ola Abbas, who is the Founders Associate at Medic Footprints and a duly trained consultant in acute medicine and intensive care. And the author of one of our more popular recent articles on five top misconceptions on becoming a consultant in the NHS. This is something you definitely do not want to miss. Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Well, today's episode is for all of you who are thinking about whether to continue with your specialty training as a doctor to become to the all holy grail of consultant life or wondering whether it really is worth your time. Um, So this is going to be one of the first podcasts where we feature our newest team member, Dr. Ola Abbas who is a Founders Associate at Medic Footprints and also a consultant in the NHS. She'll tell you a little bit more about what she does and recently wrote a fantastic article uh, on the five top misconceptions about becoming a consultant in the NHS. So we're going to take that article and actually broaden it out a little bit just to give you some insights from both our personal experiences being uh, champions of diversity of careers, but at the same time, still going for the traditional route in some ways more than others of becoming a consultant. So being the top of our kind of specialty training ladder and what we're doing with it at the same time. But anyway, uh, what we'll cover today is why did we train at consultant level 
why did we choose to even do this in the first place considering our backgrounds uh what do we expect what did we expect as consultants as in prior to actually getting to the place what is it actually really like being a consultant um comparing nhs and private consultant life obviously we have to talk about salary expectations for that and also what our plans are moving forward so anyway welcome Ola thank you so much for joining thank you for having me on Abena so exciting I totally did not draft you into this whatsoever did I (laughs) no 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 not at all not for weeks and weeks you're going like when are we going to do this podcast (laughs) yeah yeah not at all not at all I didn't do that so let's get started so So Ola, you are dual trained CCT, for those of you that don't know, uh, Certificate of Completion of Training. She is on the General Medical Register in the UK as a consultant in acute medicine and intensive care. So, I mean, we could go into the story of how you got there, but why was it important for you to train to, to that level? Thank you. Very good question. And sometimes I reflect on it, um, at the point where I am now, because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm I'm pivoting towards a different journey, which we will touch on in just a minute. I suppose the real root cause to it is comes from my personality being a finisher completer. It's like, you just have to finish it, you know, and being within, <laughs> you just have to you just have to finish it. it. It's you, like something out of a 90s uh, <laughs> game, isn't it? Exactly. And you just mortal kind of... combat. Yeah. <laughs> And you can't quit when you're winning, can you? It's like, it's the winning streak. It was a winning streak doing registrar, passing the ARCPs, pass the exams. And you just go like to yourself, well, am I not, am I not going to finish it? And again, societal pressures or cultural pressures as well play a part of it because they'll be like, well, you, you, you've got this job, you're in it. And there is this almost unspoken rule of like, if you stop doing it, it's almost like you can't do it. Mm, and mm-hmm. for me, and mm-hmm. I think that kind of like, triggered something inside me which I realize now it's something to work on really it was like I have to finish it to prove that I can finish it that I will finish this thing because I started it um and also because when I started it I thought it will end in a different way rather than get into the consultant post and seeing that what I thought it would be is not really what it is I mean I I definitely echo what you said in the sense that yeah there was a very strong feeling for me of like finishing something in medicine like my I think a lot of it actually came from my mum who was like when are you going to finish anything are you doing all these exams and you're like getting on these pathways when are you actually just going to finish it uh because I changed from uh, surgery to occupational medicine and then quit occupational medicine specialty training the year before I see to finish maybe because I was just scared of finishing no but I knew I was going to finish my own way which was down the Caesar route but um yeah, why get to the end? Especially occupational medicine. Um, you know, there are, most occupational medicine doctors do not aren't so they they're not consultants, so they don't have their membership. They, mm-hmm. you know, some of them the most they have is a diploma, and they still work at a very high level. So I guess the decision wasn't oh, if I don't get this, then I won't be able to work at a high level and command a high salary and respect. It was more, mm. I think, just finishing something and <laughs> just being done with it, kind of thing in yeah. that sense. so I think I I totally agree but I guess yeah the question yeah what yeah what were you expecting when you you know at at that level 
Yeah, because what would what would life <laughs> reasonably be like? I mean, what was I expecting? I think I think if I look at my me- like my medical or surgical career, what was I expecting? I was expecting maybe to just be to know not I think the ideal but this has changed over the years that the ideal would be you know to be the authority voice and opinion uh but not necessarily have to be doing all the legwork that junior doctors do and command a higher salary but I think now you know you can see that when you get to consultant level especially in the NHS in particular you have that authority voice but you're still kind of quite far down the hierarchy (laughs) you have the voice you can talk but your voice yeah. is on mute <laughs> yeah yeah your voice is muted more muted than you realized um but yeah like what what's your thoughts on that yeah yeah because I hear from quite a few registrars and to, for me as well it probably was true on some level it was like oh I'll get to consultant and then I don't have to deal with all of this um oh mm. I don't have to deal with you know the fact of being dictated to do this and that like I don't have control over my leave like you know I'm gonna get a better um room or a place to sit in or I'm actually going to get a desk to sit at to be able to do the work that I'm contracted to do that I'm gonna get better pay that I'm gonna have you know a different like you said like a, a different level of command where um I say something and someone actually listens to it and it's- it gets done it gets done yes and it gets done <laughs> and where the, it's like almost like you open up the door and you've gone into Narnia and like everything is just magical and mystical and beautiful and streamlined but reality is that it, it's not it's not by any stretch stretch of it and I think what struck me the most about it is that how different the same role can be in different hospitals yeah absolutely absolutely you can be a consultant in the same specialty, having the same amount of salary, working, um, doing the same amount of clinical work, but your conditions of working are vastly different from one hospital to another. And while you may not notice that as a registrar, like in training, when you're in a consultant and you're in there for the longer term, though, even if it's a small difference, it will start to matter a lot. Well, I guess because as a consultant, um you end up being part of the furniture because you're not moving around as much as you did ever mm. in your career thus far. And so actually, you know, half of your job, I'm sure, is also in like negotiating the hospital politics and standing your ground and putting your stake. And that takes years and years for people to actually trust you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It does. It does. Like leaving your mark, being noticed, um, listened to. It does take far more than just completing your registrar training. Absolutely. And um, I'm just thinking compared to the private sector is very different in the sense that you can choose how you decide to work depending on what kind of arrangements you have. So you can be employed in the private sector and you you, you may get a similar Mm. um, work experience that you do in the NHS. But yeah, I think whenever you take any kind of job, it is about doing your due diligence over the employer, the culture, what the work is like, et cetera, et cetera. And there aren't that many doctors that purely work in the private sector. And I'm talking about stand-in medical uh, roles, particularly the hospital medicine roles. Um, But as a consultant in occupational medicine, I do work solely in the private sector. Um, But I do actually do NHS work, which is, for me, the best arrangement. (laughs) Don't work for the NHS, you know, work with the NHS 
it, it really is a different and, and, and actually it does it does work better it does work much better for me um I, just, I think the idea of being able to influence and support at a level where you can actually just take a step back and not be part of the institution in some ways you know does or does does help it, it helps on the advisory and the work that you do and I know a lot mm. lots of doctors that do do that um but then like moving forward discussing the differences in general between working in the NHS and the private sector as a consultant have have you ever worked in the private sector no at I all has that ever been a consideration as part of your kind of exit plan or any of your colleagues for example because one of the things that I remember especially as a trainee or junior doctor is like oh at some point I'll be able to work in the private sector and then I'll get more money and my life will be easier blah 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 like is is that is was that ever in your kind of road road plan I I would have liked to to work in the private sector however I feel I felt still feel with my specialities that it would be a very difficult thing to do in terms of risk responsibility and indemnity Mm -hmm. and I don't feel that either acute medicine or intensive care are established to the level that you can do it in 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 private practice there's a level two care I think there's level three care as well but it's not the same of what you would get to do clinically when you're in the NHS but colleagues of mine who are in anesthetics definitely um, have ventured out into private how they found it oh they love it why why (laughs) tell me more it's it's streamlined it's Mm -hmm. efficient the things Mm -hmm. get done you say something there is a result um payment is much better um the the quality of the treatment the recognition is 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 different great do they do they kind of work partly in private partly in nhs and how do they find balancing the two uh, with great difficulty because they still have full-time jobs um in the nhs so you They'd have to do the 12 PAs um, mm. to be able to um, give time to private How care. How do they do that then? I have no idea. I'm like, I'm struggling with 10. <laughs> and, and why And why do that? Why do 12? No, why do both if if um, they're obliged to do? Yeah, but I guess it takes away from the time, your work-life balance. Yeah, well, then again, that opens up the bigger can of worms. Do we really have work-life balance? Um, and that uh, yeah the answer is 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 no but yeah some people choose choose to do that and they choose to work that much to get the money to for whatever purpose that they need it for mm. and this I, um, yeah, yeah. so go on oh I suppose as as doctors it's not mm. very well established for us as other ways of making money other than so you do your regular job you can locum or do private that's kind of like the ways that we are conditioned to think about how am I going to get extra money to put my children through private school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't think that like we can use our skills into doing something else that will be far more profitable, that will give us a better balance in life. Um, and, you know, and we can, we can still use those doctor skills in it. So I suppose that's part of it as well. Yeah, I mean, like you, we only know what we know, and especially if you have only worked in the NHS or you haven't really had any exposure to life outside of the NHS, mm. uh, maybe personally or through friends and family, then yeah, you know, you'll, you'll constantly be trading your time for money on that sense without realizing that, you know, beyond the used investment pathways, there's plenty of other opportunities to earn without having to actually do more work, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and just going back to the article that you 
you kindly published three medic footprints on the top five misconceptions about being a consultant in the NHS. My first question was, where where is this picture? You're standing looking quite proud of yourself um, in some kind of high, <laughs> uh, some office that is high above the ground. Yeah, with like wall to floor windows. Are you sure that's an NHS building? really not <laughs> and you're wearing lipstick and like hey and, and you heels. don't look like you're oh the heels and, well, don't can't see the heels you can't see the yeah. heels That's but it. this looks more like something out of the apprentice than working in nature <laughs> so where was this photo taken this was in one of the high-rise um, hotels in Frankfurt. Um, of course, it wasn't the NHS. <laughs> that was to show people, like, you know, you're not going to get that office. No, you're not. Mm. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you're not mm. going to get an office to start with. I mean, some consultants do, uh, but not all. And, and then definitely not me. Yeah, ended up with a hot desk. How about a yeah. secretary? Do you get one of those? No. God, you no. don't get a secretary. <laughs> Who does your admin? You do. I do my admin. Come on. <laughs> Gosh, we all, well, you've had years to really um, get to grips with the admin. And that's that's the one thing you learned from day one as doctor's admin. Yeah, um, yeah. But going back to what you're talking about, reaching the pinnacle of your NHS career, in the article you also refer to reality is you'll be finding yourself at the base camp of yet another mountain you need to climb. So I'd love to hear from you what that realistically looks like uh, in your specialty. So I can, I mean, speaking from my specialty and the way that I work, I feel like I've climbed my mountain Mm -hmm. and there are lots of other other mountains that I could potentially climb if I wanted to, or I could go to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Sounds better. (laughs) Uh, I've got, I've got options. I've got options. And I think it, it really is about my, how I've set up my work arrangements, mm. which means that yeah, I've I've got I've got a range of options. So I'm not in a conventional where I am working in NHS and I do have a whole load of people above me. That's not how it works for me. But I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about how how it's been for you and your colleagues. Yeah, and I and I suppose it's it's different for you because you found your balance and you found your challenges and other things, and that keeps your appetite going. I suppose. Um, yeah. For, for new adventures and so when you go to the beach it's it's well deserved but when you are in the NHS and you when you do this as a full-time job if you do want to keep that you know you, you can coast by and you can do the absolute bare minimum but for me that's soul destroying you know you as a human being I won't be able mm. to do it and what I meant by saying like when you get to the consultant level you need to climb into another mountain is that how you distinguishing is you need to distinguish yourself among the other consultants so um, it's like, you know, you came in as a registrar and you have to work your way up until ST7 to become a consultant. You come in as a consultant and you have to work your way, whether that is through projects, through um, leadership, through management, through teaching, etc. There's more things that you need to do, learn, put under your belt to actually move more up in, in, in the department. And whether that is for monetary purposes, whether that's for recognition purposes, whether that is to feed your um, hunger for challenge, um, or whether that is, you know, just to kind of like have a voice, because you'd often find yourself like you'd go into these meetings and if you're not climbing those mountains, 
then you don't really have anything to say or be said to. And I suppose some people might be happy with that, but I think it's really important to highlight it out for for um, others that, you know, like this is something that you're going to need to work on and you're going to need to be put in some um, legwork to distinguish yourself. So would you say the road after you finished your training is actually more focusing, as you've also highlighted, on the, the management, the leadership, the politics, the influence, everything else that we, for some reason, haven't necessarily been supported in learning until this this point in time for some reason 95 percent of my job is management managing people politics uh five percent is clinical and how much of that did you get to practice before you uh Zero. became a consultant <laughs> why do they do that to us I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's all clinical and towards the end of my training in all fairness i think it was sd5 or six or something um we did have to do like a leadership um course i think it was like with one of the universities can't remember which one now we had to do that and submit an assignment and that was our exposure to leadership and then you become a consultant and then 95% of my my day job when I go in is managing people, politics, the beds, that's very topical in ICU, do you have a bed? Um, and then managing in and out and managing people's expectations as well as moods. Um, and then 5% I get to do like my ward round and purely talk about patient care. And I don't know why the system is designed um, in, in such way to give you the absolute um, reverse of what your reality is going to be. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because when I um, when I was a younger doctor, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember very clearly, this is like I was in my, I still, I still am in my 30s, but when I was in my earlier 30s, um, I remember asking my consultant to uh, support me in going to the NHS Leadership Academy uh, for a course for Black minority ethnic people mm-hmm. uh, called Ready Now. It's a really great course. Mm-hmm. But I very, I, I very clearly and will never forget her saying, well, she's saying, I was ST3 at the time, and she was saying, I do think it's a bit too early for you, Abena, to be going for these kind of leadership stuff. Like mm-hmm. you should be focusing on history, taking medical histories and things like that. Well, no, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, again, I think it just represents the mindset of like leadership should be kind of learned later on when actually mm. it should be learned like on day one, yeah, yeah. day bloody one. And and that you'll see that um, I always compare it to nursing mm. and how I get the perception that nurses get a lot more support in the leadership and management earlier on so that they can progress in their careers too because they do end up doing a lot of leadership stuff or they can do or they're positioned to be able to do that earlier and I'm not sure why it's not the same for doctors Mm. that question hasn't really been answered or addressed I mean have you have you noticed that what are your thoughts on that yeah, I have noticed that there has been a sway towards um, other health. It's not been a sway towards, but like I, I think doctors are being used more and more, maybe because of the staff shortages. I don't know. Or maybe because of delivery like, stuff. Yeah, no, ha- having no insight into the impact of this, that there is no attention to leadership towards the earlier stages um, in, the, in, in, in one's career. I mean, there is when you... Um, and I don't know if this is across the board in all of the NHS, but we do have like a program for new consultants to like a new le- a leadership program for new consultants that you can enroll mm-hmm. in when, when, once you become a consultant. But I, I again, I really think that that's too late for someone to learn that vital part of their role. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah totally agree so why I mean actually let's go on to salary yep um that good guys <laughs> yeah so what were you expecting from a salary perspective um actually I'm not I kind of think like, what was I expecting I wasn't I mean like a lot like most doctors were not really driven by the money or else we'd be kind of in a hedge fund or somewhere mm. um so actually I didn't really think much about salary but all I all I knew is that I would be getting more and it would be stable and reliable which is is completely the case as long as you keep your GMC number in your practice um but if we look at the realities of pay for doctors also in relation to other similar professionals and how it's changed over the years how yeah what what exactly are we looking at these days so for me the salary hasn't really been an issue until or it's like I've not noticed it until I started to venture out in business Mm, yeah because like you said it's an lift up from what we used to be paid as registrars we know we all get taxed we all pay in our well not all of us pay into our pensions but if you've made that decision then you know what's going out and we all pay the ni and and etc etc in fact when i started a consultant job you start to get um some increments for like um for 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 doing out of hours and some extra bonuses that can come along with the basic salary which which is decent it's fine but it's decent and fine for me living on my own, having no kids. I don't know what it would feel like for um, someone who do have children and need to pay those extra bills, you know, in terms of a family. Um, but when I started to get into business and I started to meet other individuals who are um, in their early 20s or early 30s, um, and I started to see what they do and what the return of investment is on their time. When when I started to really think about it, I was like, I'm trading my time for very little money, a lot of my time for very little money. When I can use the skill and the power, the powerful skills that I have into generating far more if I was to utilize that in business or in other um, avenues, which make me feel that like we are un- massively underpaid um, as doctors, considering the amount of risk and responsibility that we have on our shoulders. And the other thing that really made me think that what is going on with this pay that it's, it's not good enough is when it comes to the annual allowance, the taxation that comes um, on the back of that, um, the fact that, uh, so for example, when you're a consultant, you don't get paid uh, mileage for, for traveling to the hospital just doesn't happen. They will pay you a relocation, but they don't want pay you mileage. So you notice that increment of cost with the with, with increments of cost of living. What was the other thing as well that I wanted to mention about um with the pay? Oh, the change in the clinical excellence awards of how that gets paid. Some people say it's become more fair, some people says it's become less fair. The change in in um awards again when you get an award and how you get paid for it that has been to be honest I've not really sought any of those awards because it's just complicated with the payments and the amount of work that you have to do to get them in the first place so yeah that's that's when it kind of like really struck me as hold on a second so I'm a consultant and I'm in like my fourth year of my pay scale and I've not hit six figures I'm like what's going on here you know (laughs) and you can see in the alternate universe what other people are making. And it's not about the money at the end of the day. It is about reward and recognition. And if you feel like, you know, trading so much for, for little back in return, together with everything, with other misconceptions about the job, you just go like, hold on a second, but there, there's something else better here. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you've made some really interesting and insightful points there. And it's made me reflect on actually, yeah, being more cognizant of the value of money. Yeah. <laughs> not, actually, just understanding money mm. in general. Because like, I did not really understand my paycheck at yeah. all until actually quite relatively recently when well yeah relatively recently when I've I ended up well now I've got two limited companies I'm employed by one of those companies I take dividends for the other company I'm like on my accountant's back all the time asking questions <laughs> about tax I never did any of that when I was in the NHS because a it's all done for you and you just assume whatever you get you get mm-hmm. um but I think another point is I did recognize how as like you alluded to how how doctors are valued in the NHS compared to in the private sector you could have really you really recognize what what your market worth is mm-hmm. um and and it's not to say it's just about the salary at the end of the day it's also about you know the pension so NHS pension you you know even though they've changed it every few years you still won't get a better pension than the NHS pension mm-hmm. and for some people that's hugely hugely important um but for others you know pension is like generation away and it's like well actually I'd rather there's a lot more priorities that mean more to me in my life in the day to day, assuming, you know, not knowing how long I'll actually live anyway to see my pension. Um, but I mean, I think that's just another important factor for doctors to think about when they are stepping out. It's not just the bottom line salary, it's all the other stuff that comes with it. But the reality is, you'll see that doctor salaries um, in relation to cost of living has dropped over the last 10 years quite substantially mm. some people quote up to 30 percent in real terms I mean that's huge that is huge and as we know you know this is now October 22 and we've just had some crazy crazy cray cray announcements <laughs> from the new chancellor <laughs> I have to say I could say this because I'm black he's a black man and he's coming in and making some amazingly wild yeah wild radical uh changes uh yeah. to to things that really impact on a lot of people like you know obviously the whole the whole country which actually benefits the rich more mm. so and the assumption is that the rich will then support the poor. We cannot assume anything in this country. I think that's no. that's hugely, hugely risky, hugely risky um, measure they've taken. But at the end of the day, mm. it still doesn't change the fact that the cost of living is increasing. NHS pay for not just doctors, but generally all staff is mm. not increasing in line with inflation. Yep. And so the question for you, if you're listening, is you know, A, where is this likely to go? And B, is this important enough for you to then start moving with your feet? Mm -hmm. Because as you said, like money is not, it's not the be all and end all for anyone, definitely not. And and job satisfaction is probably one of the the biggest ones up there, well-being and job satisfaction. But we know that a lot of doctors aren't finding that in the NHS right now. Um, They're not finding that in their jobs and they are exploring or looking elsewhere or moving elsewhere. Mm. Um, But these are all factors that I know that doctors will consider. Because I know know so many doctors, I've had so many stories of doctors where they get to a point later on in their careers and they're literally like a year away from CCT or they've delayed Mm. CCT for some reason. Usually, not always consciously, sometimes unconsciously, they'll say, oh, I'll just do a PhD. Oh, I'll just do this fellowship. Oh, I'll just do something that doesn't get me to CCT. And then they're like, actually, I just don't want to do this. I just don't want this career. 
it's like yeah. the most competitive specialty ever and mm. I'm I'm saying no to it mm. I'm saying no <laughs> and it's a really really challenging thing to do and I think yeah I think if, depending on what stage you are in your specialty training or your career in medicine I would definitely recommend you stop and pause every time you're about to commit to a training program yeah like takes you to the top whatever the top is because reality is you don't have to be at the top to work sustainably in a specialty that you love you do not Mm -hmm. have to do that um and maybe I'm referring to becoming an associate specialist maybe I'm just referring to come working as a doctor general medical doctor medical officer Mm. you know you can have great satisfaction in those kind of roles it's not to poo-poo it at all um it just depends on really what you want for your life what are your thoughts on that yeah no absolutely because I think we get into this very very um narrow vision of like I want to get as much as possible from this career because I'm in this competitive very sore after a lot of people will be um grateful to have what I have kind of view and we go all in and and also let's not forget the culture in the NHS it's a culture that asks for more demands more it's almost like I was reading something the other day about um Oh, if you're just doing the requirements of your job and you leave on time and you come in on time, then you are silently quitting. There's this concept of silently quitting because you're not going way above um, expectations. Yeah, quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, yes. It's like you're not delivering more, you're not giving more. And there's that very strong expectation in the NHS, especially of doctors, um, and so we feel like we need we do need to burn ourselves to light other other people's way. And we we end up forgetting about the other things that are a priority for us in our lives and that have kept us going for such a long time. Mm. Yeah, I don't really see many doctors kind of quite quitting. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't any, mm. but um, as you said, like, I think the nature of a doctor is just to kind of go above and beyond. And I, I'd say kind of a loud quitting is probably better. Term. That's the thing, like we do, <laughs> I think we, we, we don't do the quiet quitting and we keep on giving more, even though that we don't want, we can't give any more and then we fall apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Crisis quitting. Yes, I think it's yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, well, I think we've come to the end of that discussion. <laughs> Ending on a crisis. <laughs> Ending on crisis. Um, but I mean, re- realistically, what advice would you give to doctors who are considering whether to go, whether to become a consultant? or even whether to quit their specialty training or even quit quit consultant level like what kind of advice would you give to them if they're kind of in that in that zone where it's like should I bother (laughs) really what's your thoughts on that considering what we know about the realities of being a consultant in the NHS but also in private sector yeah um I would say speak to a friend speak to a good friend and get some real expectations about what the job is going to be like on the other side now you have to be careful of it because when you're applying for a place they are and this is the nature of marketing they're going to market themselves in the best way possible and that's not to deceive you I don't think anybody wants to deceive anybody but I think it comes onto the candidate to ask those important powerful questions that will uncover what it is really like on the other side because think about it you're getting into a marriage um Mm. and yes you can get a divorce later on but do you really want to get into a marriage to get a divorce later on just have a think about that so I would say ask 
ask questions about what the real expectations are. Be prepared from a financial point of view, because um, a lot of us, majority, if not all of us, we don't know about our finances um, and your pay will be, um, let's say you're going to need to go back and forth with HR quite a few times once you get appointed to get it sorted and get it right. So make sure you financially know what you are getting into and um, that expect gauge your expectations to that. And if you are wondering if it's the right move or it's not the right move, then maybe it's not. That voice inside you is there for a reason. So I urge you to take time. Take time off. It might be a week. It might be two. It might be a month. It might be that you need to speak to someone. It might be you need coaching. It might be you need some other form of support. But if that question is on your mind, I think you should honour it. And you should get to an answer before you, you move the next step. I'm talking about divorcing, Ola. Are you divorcing your specialty? I'm divorcing the NHS. Oh, why have you decided <laughs> to do that after everything it took to get there in the first place with not one, but two CCT. specialties, CCTs? <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long, arduous journey. Um, and I have come to the conclusion that for me, to align with my values, to honor my priorities in life, because at the end of the day, it's not just about working and going overboard at work. It's 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 about a lot of other things that are important to me in my life, and also um, the fact that I can see what is out there, and I can see that I can have a bigger, um, more positive impact um, and a voice that's not muted um, in other avenues around medicine or around clinical or or not entirely not related to it but they speak to my values and to my passions and so yeah I'm drawing up the divorce papers what could they do to keep you and retain you oh they can't why not money can buy me back and that's pretty much the only bargaining chip that they have really you think money is the only thing they they could offer you to bargain would there not be anything else think um... think so you know someone like you and me <laughs> became the head of the NHS <laughs> and we we know that throwing money at people doesn't always work no There's it doesn't other, but that's other the things that could, could potentially go much further what you know sky's the limit what could they potentially offer you that would keep you there it would need a radical a radical transformation in the way that the nhs treats its doctors mm-hmm. yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's, it goes beyond and it's like I said it's not the money it's about value it's about recognition it's about having that voice um yeah it, it it's really about a lot of other things the paycheck I mean they're always going to make money we're so highly qualified I'm so highly qualified I'm always going to find <laughs> you know you I'm are definitely gonna... an employable person exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, and you know, I'm resourceful, highly qualified. I'm always going to find ways to make money, but it's about how you feel when you're making it. And for me mm. to be persuaded into staying, it's it's gonna need a major transformation in 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 the way that things are done and in and it also in the way that um people even think, so to speak. Yeah. Well, let's end it there. Thank you so much for your candid thoughts on that, Ola. And um, as we know, there are lots of opportunities for doctors to get further one-to-one support from us at Medic Footprints. Um, If you are interested, please feel free to join our membership. Um, If you go to the Medic Footprints website, medicfootprints.org forward slash go premium, 
there is more information there on one-to-one mentorship from ourselves as well as cv reviews as well as literally like hundreds and hundreds of hours of webinars on various career opportunities um and more and more and you get you get the podcasts very shortly after they're recorded and not months later like everyone else so uh, that's just some of the benefits of joining us as a member um and if you have any questions about anything that we discussed today feel free to email us at team at medicfootprints.org anything else to add ola no thank you very much and i have to say that um medic footprints has definitely been a big support into in terms of being part of the community and listening and seeing what other options are out there and also finding other people that are on the same wavelength because we can be made to feel like we're the odd one out when we want to divorce the NHS. So uh, people, you've got other people that have your back. Well spoken, well spoken. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to team at medicfootprints.org us. Make sure that you subscribe to Medic Footprints mailing list at medicfootprints.org forward slash join our mission. Uh, Be one of the thousands and thousands of doctors across the world who are taking their careers into their own hands. Finally, I'm so glad. Until next episode.